0: You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. Really, in order to find quality care, you often have to be on a wait list that's months long. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about.
1: The aggressive advocates who are looking to overrule Roe for so long, they really had no idea of the consequences they might be opening up. In this case, there very well may be charges that are appropriate. For example, trying to obstruct an official proceeding of Congress, right? That is unlawful.
0: This is KCBS In-Depth. It's been a little over a week since the bipartisan $118 billion border and national security bill stalled out in the Senate. Most of the GOP opposed the bill, saying that legislation wasn't going to do enough to address the needs at the U.S.-Mexico border. And there were some Democrats who voted to block the bill as well. With this bill now standing still, the possibility of huge changes to U.S. immigration policy seemed to be out of reach. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, broadcasting throughout the Bay Area and streaming on the Odyssey app. I'm Mary Hughes. To take a closer look at where things went wrong with this bill and at the state of immigration reform, we're speaking with Bill Hing. Professor of Law and Migration Studies at the University of San Francisco and author of Humanizing Immigration, How to Transform Our Racist and Unjust System. Bill, thank you so much for being a part of this in-depth conversation. Thank you.
1: I'm happy to be here.
0: Um. So there's a lot of conversation right now recent to do with immigration and the united states um let's start with the bipartisan border bill that recently fell apart um what was covered in that proposed legislation and what would it have potentially changed when it when we're talking about immigration
1: yeah it's the recently passed border bill in the senate it probably represents the biggest proposal that actually got somewhere, at least for a little while, went through one chamber of the, of the U.S. Congress. Uh, it, it, it represents one of the biggest efforts bipartisan that has occurred in probably a decade. And the the big headlines from that bill were that uh, there would be a new process for screening migrants who want to apply for asylum. Uh, And this is just language, of course, but uh, under current screening mechanisms, a migrant has to show that they have a significant possibility of attaining asylum before they get to move forward. The new proposal said that they had to have a reasonable possibility of establishing asylum. And again, those are just words, but it was very much clear that it would be harder, it would be more difficult for someone to get asylum under that procedure. Uh, the The other big headlines from that bill were that uh, there would be less reliance on detention. So this was give and take. Uh, this really was a compromise. And so the, the Democrats were able to get less reliance on detention. So people that did pass the screening would not be detained. They would be passed on through the system. The Republicans got that higher screening standard. The other thing that was significant here was that there would be more asylum officers hired. Rather, in the long run, there would be more immigration judges hired as well, but the asylum officers would not be formal court judges they exist today and there would be a uh, an increase to their group and they would have the final say on these new asylum seekers coming in so the idea would be that there these new asylum seekers would be reviewed very very quickly and those that were would, would be denied would get deported right away so, the, the whole thing about that system was that it was going to be streamlined. And part of that package, uh, as we all know, mayors, for example, of New York and Denver have complained that um, that many migrants have been shipped or bused or flown to their cities. And a lot of that is a result of political stunts from Governor Abbott of Texas and DeSantos of Florida. But whether it's a a political antic or not, the truth is thousands and thousands of migrants have been sent to these cities and those cities are cash strapped. And so this legislation would have provided funding for those cities to help them out. Again, something that uh, Democrats were able to get, but what Republicans got in exchange, was for that, was this expedited decision making and expedited removal of people who were denied. So, so it really was a compromise that was reached.
0: Well, there, there's a lot to unpack, I think, uh, with what this bill kind of represented, and but I appreciate you bringing up uh, the topic of asylum, and we'll, we'll kind of go from there because it would have expedited um work permits for asylum seekers and this is kind of coming at a time when you know some experts are saying that this stricter stance that some are wanting to take when it comes to immigration and people coming to the country is how it could damage the economy and you would think that that would tip the scales a little bit when people are thinking about immigration policy and laws yeah, it's,
1: it's kind of interesting. Uh, I've been doing this for some time, uh, almost 50 years that I've been practicing immigration law. I started as a legal services attorney uh, in 1974, as a matter of fact, so uh, in December 1974. And you're absolutely right. The economic argument has always been uh, on the table. But the truth is that if you look at every economic study, that's been done by scholars uh, over those generations that I followed it, the uh, immigrants actually put in more to the system, including undocumented immigrants. They put more into the system than they take out in terms of benefits. And so the the pro-immigrant camp, if you will, they win that argument. They win that argument in terms of there's no job displacement, there's no overtaking of resources if you calculate all the money that's put into the system. And most of the money that's put into the system is at the federal level. The challenge is getting that money to the states and to the cities. But on balance, immigrants put more in than they take out. But you're right. Uh, there's it, it's interesting. the complaints against migrants, for quote-unquote taking away jobs from U.S. citizens, that's actually, in my view, that's actually died down m- much in the, mat- in the last several years. The complaint, I think, more is that there's just too many, that uh, pictures of the border scare many Americans, and and they have this image that folks are coming here and taking us over, but, uh, but it, the, the economic argument has I, I don't think been as strong uh, against as as I've seen in the past. Now, it's great that you mentioned that the the legislation would be would enable asylum seekers to get employment permission right away. Under current law, when you apply for asylum, you have to wait for six months before you can apply for a work permit. And Mayor Adams of New York, for example, for many, many months now, he's been asking the Biden administration, let these folks work, they wanna work. It would help if they could work. Uh, and, and so this is an answer, this is a response to Mayor Adams actually, that they would be able to get job work permits right away and be able to work because uh, that folks would rather do that. They would rather work than to be sitting in some makeshift shelter that's been created for them
0: well, and and you you know you you mentioned that some of the um rhetoric surrounding uh, immigrants who are coming to the country as as you know, taking over, I know some of the language that gets used out there uh, in the world, whether in media or in politics, you know, uses terminology like invasion and things of that. and that 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 has died down um but it it's still incredibly difficult um to manage and navigate getting into the united states one you know one way or the other and then what that then looks like when people are here um the flow of people who who do attempt to reach the border and and come into the united states or arrive to the united states it does you know seem to be continuous with all the difficulties that are there, um, I, I sometimes wonder what makes the United States still seem appealing to immigrants?
1: That's a really good question, uh, because believe me, news gets back to the source countries uh, about what's happening at the border. And it's not pretty um, uh, the my students and I and my colleagues at the uh, at the University of San Francisco Immigration Clinic go to the border a couple times a year. We were just there in October. It's not a pretty sight. There are thousands of thousands of migrants there living in shelters and poor conditions. And that word gets back to the source countries. So what that, what what I hope Americans and listeners, what the, I hope that raises in their mind is why would they keep coming then? On the answer to that, lies in the root causes so if if those individuals were just coming here for example to simply get work and some of them do then that's one thing but when you start interviewing these folks and many of them end up being our clients we represent over 500 clients at our clinic at usf Uh, most of them from central america and mexico when you start talking with them and interviewing them you realize many just don't have a choice they are fleeing violence, gang violence, cartel violence, and in many cases for women, domestic violence. And and they still view the United States as a place of safety, of refugee, of refuge, and of of recognizing human rights. Uh, and, and so while it may seem puzzling to folks, the United States still is a symbol of of hope and I know it sounds corny but it, the United States is a beacon of hope it's 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 a light to folks and um and so they are hoping that they get a fair shot at asylum many apply in Mexico many have tried safety in other parts of Latin America uh but at the end of the day, they they view the United States as a place where they can really find refuge refuge and uh, and someone who's going to recognize that their human rights are, have been violated.
0: In depth will return after a moment. Well, and you you mentioned earlier just how long you've been a part of this type of work, um, and you know th- these stories that you have heard from those that you have met and ha- have represented that's a huge part of um the book that you put out last year humanizing immigration how to transform our racist and unjust system and since you do have kind of a a long perspective on all of this um you know you say at the beginning of your book that the whole system needs to be restructured and considering some of what we've already just talked about you know, is that possible with where things stand now? You know, what are the alternatives to how policies are are happening now? Um, and, and, you know, is change possible?
1: Yeah, I, that's the million dollar question. And uh, of course, uh, I'm not going to fool any of your listeners or you. Uh, it, it's all a matter of politics. Will the legislators in Congress Will the president ever step up and uh, and realize that these are human beings that uh, and our lives that are at stake? Uh, and I, I I wish I could say, oh yeah, here's the magic bullet that's going to convince everybody. Uh, when people die at the border, young kids, I I keep on thinking that that's the moment uh, that's going to change, turn heads around when. A couple of years ago when we saw images of of black migrants from Haiti being whipped with horse reins or whips, uh, border patrol on horseback. I thought that was the image that was going to change mind. But obviously I have been wrong. And so I, I but I, I I say in my book and I'm saying right now that I do think that there will come a time when policymakers realize that just throwing money at the border and putting more and more resources into border enforcement and erecting walls or fences, uh, sending more immigration judges or asylum officers to the border, that's not going to stop the flow because of what I just said. Until we address the violence in those countries, I think that, that, that it's not going to happen. So my hope is that um, n- my hope not only is that we put in place a fair asylum system, but my hope also, it, which, which may be a hard sell for many members of Congress, my hope also, which I think is an easier sell, it should be a, an easier sell, is to figure out how the United States can help the root causes Because if we can address the root causes in those countries, then I think Republicans and Democrats, and to be honest with you, immigrant rights attorneys like me, we would be happier if there were fewer people that were coming that had to come. We would be happier if the violence was be reduced, and that resulted in fewer people migrating. Republicans, Democrats, and migrant rights advocates as well. So. My question is, why spend so much money at the border? Why not be working with those people on the ground who are actually trying to address root violence? And quite honestly, the USAID program, USAID program, they're trying and there's smart ways of doing it. Even the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund, they are finally waking up to the need to invest in those countries, and so so I think that has that should have a better chance of striking a chord with policymakers
0: well, yeah, I, I think you know you hit on two very big points there, um one being that this is a this is so much a human issue um and what people are going through, and the lives that are having to be led, not by choice, but by uh, circumstances and, and your question. I, I don't know that it has an answer, at least not within uh, it seems like uh, government conversations here. Um, and then another point you mentioned was of course how politics play into this. I, um, I read a quote recently from a person who, who runs migrant shelters in Texas. And they said that it has become such a political platform for election rather than to address the actual realities uh, at the border. This sort of feels like that's that it's always been that way. But how true is that now when we are looking at these big questions of immigration reform?
1: Well, the fact, Mary, that that, uh, we started this conversation talking about a Senate bill that um, that was that represented a, a compromise and that it at least got through that uh, negotiation between the, the, uh, a Democrat and a Republican and the independent who uh, Sinema Cinema from um, Arizona, the fact that it got through that stage is a big deal. But your point is so well taken because it got derailed by if if the news is to be accurate, It got derailed by Donald Trump, who's who was urging Republicans to oppose that compromise because he wanted to have immigration still be on the table for the for the presidential election coming up. And he didn't want he doesn't want Joe Biden to be able to sign legislation and take credit for helping to address the border situation and. Uh, If those reports are true, uh, then it's very evident that for some politicians, they want immigration to be front and center of a presidential election. And that is just that's playing politics literally. Uh, And and what's sad about that, of course, is that they're playing with the lives of all these migrants who are at the border, who are trying to patiently get in. I mean, uh, listeners should realize that most of the people that are trying to get in are trying to do it orderly. They've signed up to get interviews at the ports of entry. Yes, there are people that still try to sneak their way in between the ports of entry, but the vast majority are lining up They've signed up; that their names have been registered, and they're waiting patiently for appointments. So they're not actually trying to enter illegally.
0: Well, with all that being said, and 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 to what you said about having hope that things can improve and that the conversation might move towards what the root issues are in in the countries that people are leaving, uh, and and how those situations could be dealt with in some way that's good for everyone. With this bill, as you said, it's a positive that it got as far as it did. um and and but now that is stalled out. Um, you know, what do you see as next steps to to push immigration policy conversations to a better place? Um, or do you foresee? Continuing to be, you know, stymied as we as we head towards a, another big election time.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's going to be very difficult to get legislation, uh, immigration legislation, pass. I mean, the, again, uh, possibly the only hope is, and we haven't even mentioned this, of course, but uh, uh, part of that compromise that uh, got through that negotiation was for the border. Uh, was in exchange for more funding for Ukraine um, and, and I, I guess for Israel as well. And that, that's what's kind of kooky about this most recent iteration of the immigration debate that it's been coupled with uh, with foreign aid for military purposes. Um, but I still think that that is possible. OK, if that is still what's being debated, um uh, then I do think that something like that compromise still might happen. The the other thing that I want to throw out that's, uh, I want to continue to have hope, okay, and and that's that the one piece of legislation that immigrant rights advocates have been pushing for now since for over 25 years is the DREAM Act, which is for those uh, children who came with their parents and have been undocumented since they were children and they grew up here, went to high school. Uh, I'm sure that many of your listeners know Dreamers. In other words, know people who grew up and went to high school and have been undocumented. And some of them have benefited from a program Obama started called DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, and, which was instituted in 2012. Uh, the fate of DACA doesn't look good, because Texas has challenged the legality of DACA. The main part of DACA that Texas doesn't like is that, so that subgroup of DREAMers have been given permission to work, and the federal judge who was on that case ruled that you cannot force any president to deport anyone, okay, you can't force the president to deport DREAMers, but he ruled the president can't hand them a permission to work, that that's too substantive. And that issue is headed to the Supreme Court probably by this fall of 2024. And the Supreme Court has already sent the message that if that issue comes before them, they probably will strike down the employment authorization part of, of DACA. So uh, that decision, I predict that that Supreme Court decision will happen by June of 2025, a little bit more than a year from now. So that means over 600,000 of these DREAMers are not going to be able to work anymore uh, beginning June of 2025. That issue, uh, the DREAM Act has would, would solve this. It would grant legalization to those folks and, and, and a green card. Uh, And I think Republicans and Democrats have always felt sympathetic towards dreamers. And I do think that that piece of legislation stands a chance, especially when the urgency is recognized that that this is on a timeline uh, where the DACA program is going to be terminated and by the Supreme Court. And with that, these dreamers won't be able to work
0: anymore. So much to keep an eye on um, as we go through the rest of this year and into 2025. Bill, uh, there's so much we could talk about uh, in this conversation. Unfortunately, In-Depth is only so long, but um, I wanna say thank you again for, for getting into some of this with me. I really appreciate it. It was a great uh, great conversation.
1: Thank you for the time and for reaching out, really appreciate it.
0: Find this episode and past episodes of In-Depth online at kcbsradio.com. You can also hear In-Depth episodes on the Odyssey app. Download the app on your smartphone and favorite KCBS radio. Thanks for listening. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Mary Hughes.